I'm really drawn to pinks and like dusky pinks with greens because they're beautiful together. Really beautiful, just a pop of pop of green in a pink sculpture on a painting. If you ever look at painting, pop of green on a pink painting is just delicious. Welcome to the Color and Ceramics Podcast. I'm Bob Acton, and I am here today with the great Sharon Griffin. Sharon is a figurative artist from England who specializes in ceramic sculpture, directly inspired by the woodland, where she often explores places in which to breathe. The textures, the smells, and the secret spaces from the forest all provide a kind of awakening for her. She uses the human figure to help communicate a sense of deeper meaning within humankind and of her own experience of being a woman. The sculptures represent a state of being, internal struggles of love, loss, displacement, vulnerability, and strength. Sharon and I talked about color, surface design, form, and how she approaches her work. I think you'll really enjoy her ideas about clay and the artistic process. Welcome to Color and Ceramics, the podcast for ceramic artists who want valuable ideas about using color from leading artists and world-class experts. Here's your host, Bob Acton, a sculptor and ceramic artist who's fascinated with color and how potters, sculptors, and artists use color in their work. Tune in as he talks with his guests about color, techniques, and the impact of color on people and art itself. Sharon, thank you so much for being here today. I am pumped about talking with you about color and surface design and connecting with you uh, from afar. You're over in England and I'm here in Western Canada. And so the it's great to be able to have these methods where we can have a conversation and share it with everybody else. Uh, you know, I, I as I had mentioned to you before we started this recording. I just really love your work and and I love the, uh, I, I was thinking of what I would call it. I kind of call it your loose nature, I guess, about some of your sculptures. You know, it's not really tight, as I might call it. It's nice and loose and I, I love that. Uh, I, I love the colors that you're playing with, although a lot of the colors are white and and some accent color so i, I want to talk about that but so thanks so much for being on our podcast here today oh thank you for having me it's really pleasure pleasure absolute my pleasure to be on here bob it's brilliant awesome. um yeah could, could could you tell i mean i know a little bit about you but i don't know if everybody else does so i wonder if you could tell people just a little bit about you and your work like where you started and kind of give us the short story of how you got to where you are right today okay long story but short version that's what okay. we want isn't it yeah. <laughs> let's keep it you know three words rather than 300 um i'm sharon known as sharon griffin but actually born sharon massey um always lived in telford in uk um i'm one of 11 people so i've got 11 siblings all from different parents different backgrounds um came through into art because I struggled at school um, with the formal the formal sitting down, you know, kind of thing where a lot of children do, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and 
And since my parents both passed away, I've kind of used my my hometown. I've always lived in Telford. My hometown has got like a trampoline to go and visit other experiences and other cultures. Art is where I can find freedom to express and to be and to explore and to and it's a place to breathe and really into the body and you know and reconnect with myself and with my emotions and my feelings and kind of make sense of myself but not just of myself but you know everyone else in it or in my world so if i can if i can make sense of myself it means that i can make sense of my conversation with other people with my family with my friends with my community with my town with my you know with my art world so then, um, keeping it short, uh, went into teaching. Um, I didn't do so well at college or university. I scraped through uh, and managed to become um, a teacher in a college um, in FE and reconnected with young people. Really liked working with young people in college, um, especially the naughty ones or the ones that are na- labelled naughty. <laughs> I kind of thought, oh, I recognise that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my work is about finding freedom. And I think because I've always worked or been um, interested in psychology and in teaching and how people behave, um, I've always made figures. And clay is an instant, instant, instant thing that it's just gives me the dopamine fix that my brain needs. Very cool. Does that make is that short enough? Oh, that's perfect. Yes, I, I, can, I can really relate to what you're talking about. I'm, um, my background was I was a psychologist. And, uh, you know, lots of times psychology, at least in the profession as I knew it, was really full of lots of rules. You know, you must yeah. do it this way or not do it that way. And this is the right way and this is the wrong way. And, um, and, and so when I got into ceramics, it came out of a... Um, I don't know where it came from. It was sort of a visceral thing at university when I just fell in love with it. And then now that I'm doing some sculptural work, it's, it is free. You get your fingers uh, dirty into the clay and, um, you never know sometimes what emerges. It's a body experience, isn't it? You know, um, I paint and I sculpt and, um, I'm just cutting up some textiles at the moment, which is why I was a bit late to this podcast, actually. Um, um, working with some with refugees, and um, and we're just doing some um, some like oh some playing with the materials, just very short things. But you know, when you when you're using your hands or you're using, we talked earlier about music as well, expressing the body um, with clay in particular. You can see it. It's there's nothing in between. There's, the material is a mirror to you, isn't it? It picks up every feeling every emotion every every mark it shows you um whether you are full of energy and like really fast ah you know you've got all of this stuff to come out and it's you know when your hands can't stop moving or it picks up your anxiety or your tiredness it picks up everything and there's no um there's no tool in between you, the clay, because it's your hands that you're using. It's this haptic knowledge, you know, the experience of this knowledge of the body that you're using, which is really quite intimate, isn't it? It's very intimate. And as you said, we can use tools, of course, but often it's our it's our skin that's touching the clay. Right. And so and so it's we're so intimately connected with the with the piece. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then that piece of, you know, clay is so um, 
it's ancient knowledge. So we're drawing on that like ancestral kind of knowledge that has been passed through our mothers and our ancestors as well. So when you have that time with the clay, it's a real it like you say, it's not just a it's not just a physical space, it's a liminal space where it allows the mind to then wonder and make um make space for your thoughts to just wonder past. So yeah. I love it. I love it. I think all people should get their hands on some clay at some point if they yep. haven't already. <laughs> Ab absolutely. I have a friend who's Very just healing. starting clay classes yeah. and I think she'll love it immensely. Hey, so so we're talking about uh, touching clay. And of course, that means we are making a form of some sort, right? Yes. So when you start off, uh, the joke, at least in my world, was, well, we made an ashtray. That was what we started to do uh, when we made, started clay first because we couldn't do anything. And then eventually you get much better at whether you're throwing or whether you're sculpting at making the form. Um, yes. And and I remember my first instructor said, Bob, the form is most important. And here we are talking about color and surface. And I think mm -hmm. they're both important, right? You, If you have uh, not a very good form, it doesn't matter how much color you put on it or a surface on it, mm -hmm. it's not going to do so well, vice versa. Can, can you talk a little bit about your thinking about form and color surface? So, I mean, for me, I need to analyze what form is. You know, form is a shape. It's um, it's 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 making a physical three-dimensional object which has got surfaces on or the and planes and um, it can be a heavy, weighty form where it can be a very light, elongated, um, elegant form where it can have you know it can have things that go inside. So. It's an object, isn't it? It's a three-dimensional form that you can, so the, the human body, this human experience that we're in, can have a relationship with it. So that's kind of a physical language that isn't verbal language or said, you know, we're listening to an audible, you know, you'd be listening to this podcast at the moment. So you're you're listening to the tones of our voices and the expressiveness in our language and the way that we are um, stringing sentences and words together. So for me, form is about realising all of that language that is nonverbal, but into a three-dimensional object. So as a, as a figurative artist, because, you know, that's vast, that's a vast thing, isn't it? It's huge. Mm -hmm. We've got forms everywhere. They're in our homes. They're everything that we touch and have a, a relationship with, you know, beds, cups. I'm just looking around my room now, you know, things that windows we look through. There's so many different forms everywhere, all over the place. Um, so it's too much for for my brain to cope with. So I have to just keep it down into this um, form that I can use. And for me, it's all about the human form. It's all about the face and the body and the shoulders and the way that the, the human um, shape is formed. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So absolutely. that's like the tunnel. The tunnel vision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then because because of that, because I'm a figurative sculptor, you know, who uses clay, clay has also got so many variables to it. So you start off with this wet, wet, wet gooey sort of substance. 
and then it it has a you know language language of its own so then it goes through these processes it you know it's too dry or too wet if it's too wet it'll fall over um if it's too thick it will blow up in a kiln if we're firing it it um it you have to understand the the material that we're using so so that material then goes on and has a life on its own and you know we start off by just approaching it and making the sculpture um using using um clay that is moldable and it's just the right consistency and then it dries and then it you know you can then scrape it back or work with it when it's dry or leather hard stage or then you, then it goes into the kiln and then it becomes flattened and the surface becomes dead because all the molecules have vitrified you know squished together and then you know, if you want to add anything or more on, you can't do that. It's got this whole other world. Oh, it's it's vast. It's huge. I'm almost going off on a tangent. So bringing it back in to the form, the form is quite important for me um, because I want to keep it alive and I want to work with the clay so that it has a language of its own. So when I'm having a conversation with you, Bob, hopefully I'll pause and then you can have a <laughs> you know you can feedback of what I just said and it's a two-way conversation um and it's the same thing with clay so I'll have a conversation in my workshop with the form of the clay initially sometimes I actually have a verbal conversation with the clay do you do that I dance to it <laughs> <laughs> I dance to it, I sing to it, I cry at it. It it has all of my secrets. <laughs> yes, it's everything. It's, a, it's alive in lots of ways. Yeah. It's 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 mud, it's clay, it's it's uh it's got organic material in it, but but it has, as you said, a, a life of its own. So we we create this form that mm. we're happy mm. with, and we all do that in a different kind of way. Some of us are looser and have a life, and some are really tight and make things precise. Um, mm. And and then and that comes out of who you are, right? That comes out of what's important for you. And the, as our listeners are thinking about it, the the thing that's probably most important for them to follow is their heart what what things yes. bring them alive when they're making the piece and then yeah. then we have to cover it in some way we don't just leave often i guess some of us do but i know you don't um I leave it just as a piece of clay that's come out of the kiln you finish it in I do. lots of ways T tell us a little bit about how you finish your work so um, just going back a couple of steps, you mentioned that clay is alive. You know, it is, it, is, it is made of organic matter. So for me, clay is the earth. We have, um, it's really important for me that clay is part of my work because it's, it's in where I live. I go and dig it up out of the ground physically. Um, so I, it's a reconnection with the place. It's myself and the where I live. So it, it's a real deep deeper deep connection to um our beautiful planet that we live on you know and in and we're part of clay is found on mars but it's also in our mobile phones it's everywhere it's it's incredible it's it's it it's um the life force of all the seeds and it's protecting all of the seeds that we have and we if we if we don't have clay we don't have anything it is organic matter we are it it is us i believe so that language, that 
visual language that we talk about sometimes is very, very energetic and very exciting, you know, and when I'm, and it's, it's, so if I'm very, if I'm feeling very energetic and I've got something to say or something's going on in the world that I just can't get out of my head or if I absorb it through the news, which is not news, it's, it's a version of a story that someone wants to tell us. Um, I try and filter that out and really get deep into the what is it this clay is going to tell me and what is it that I'm having a conversation about. So it's real deep stuff. It's not kind of surface. Sometimes it is. Um, and because because I've experienced trauma, um, really deep, deep stuff um, that we're not going to go into. That's not that kind of podcast. But I know that the viewers or the people who are listening will understand what trauma is if they've experienced it and hope that people don't experience it too bad um, and they're able to deal with it. But um, to me, the, the clay is about story and it's about really opening up the heart and really revealing what is inside of me, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's very kind of personal stuff. Sometimes it's a bit too dark. <laughs> I think, oh, let's just scrape that bit back a bit and make it a little bit happier so it's a bit more acceptable <laughs> to release out into the world. Mm -hmm. And I don't share everything. Let's just put that note down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when we're making the form, we can reveal what it is that we have, the energy that's in there, whether it's light, dark, happy, sad, everything in between. And we can scrape it back. So the act of scraping back is actually revealing this more of the clay surface. Mm. And, and I, once I've done that, once I've finished the form, it's not necessarily then I go onto the the surfaces and look at the colour, um, but I it sort of grows with it. So it's an organic way. I sit with the piece for a while and I think, well, what kind of what kind of conversation have we just had? I make some notes. Um, I'm very inspired by the landscape around here. It's very green, um, very very rainy at the moment, um, and I love rain and I love green things. It makes us grow and we can eat plants and all that sort of stuff um so i think about the colors that are coming through into that piece you know is it a very dark thing that i'm making does it need more dark to it or does it need to have some pops of light and then what do those pops of light do you know are they um are they very very vibrant um or are they so i'm asking lots of questions basically i'm asking the clay what it wants to be um I will draw and sketch. I will look at colours. I always am inspired by painters. Um, I love the work of Jenny Saville. Um, I think she's a fantastic British painter. Um, just because she reveals the expressive quality of human nature, you know. Um, I'm very inspired by an artist called Claire Scott, who paints the landscape from memory. And it's very exciting, very fast, very gestural mark making. Um, and they're not landscapes, but they're kind of absorbed into landscapes. Very, I'm very excited by those. Um, so I, then I paint and I, um, on 2D and, you know, in pastels or draw or sketch. And then I look at my sketchbooks and they, they have... Um, so my clay sculpture then gets inspired by those those drawings, those paintings, and I refer to them, as well as a bit of psychology 
you know, we need a bit of drama in our lives, don't we? We need exactly. to look at yeah. the shadow to get exactly. to the light. You know, if we are not here, there was there would be no shadow. <laughs> uh, you know, so, I guess I, I hear you talking about the process of making the piece and the mm. process of applying whatever surface you decide to put on it is really very much a thoughtful, emotional process. And Ooh. and what's popping into my head is I, I was going back to when I started taking play stuff first years ago. And, you know, they would teach you how to make a thing and say, okay, now it's out of the kill. Now you plop it in the glaze and, and I hope it turns out okay, right? And and so there wasn't much, wasn't almost none uh, emotional connection to the piece taught at that level, right? And so right. I hear you talking about something much, much uh, deeper that you're integrating uh, not only your soul into the piece, but also the work of others and, and being inspired by, by different mm -hmm. mediums. I did, um, I did train in ceramics and I was always really, really disappointed when it came out the kiln. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh. No, it looks really completely different. That's not how I imagined it. You know, this shiny glaze that would just go on it. Um, obviously, I didn't do it to an extent or level that other potters do, where, you know, the the clay is really well matched to the glaze and it's applied in a way that it is, um, that it is beautiful and it's almost like a piece of poetry, you know, and then it comes out of the kiln using, they, maybe it's not an electric kiln, it's um, a gas kiln or a anagamma firing or a, you know something really beautiful um so i didn't do it to that extent i when i was at university i spray painted all of my um all of my pieces with car spray paint and then put them in the smoke firing <laughs> that was you know that was probably the extent of my glazing um but now um when i i stopped teaching about 10 years ago um and then over the past 10 years, I've been really developing my own technique or approach into the surface of the clay um, as a as a fine artist would rather than a potter. Mm. And I think that's the difference um, between making pottery and ceramics and fine art sculpture, um, but using the the clay as a as a fired surface. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe I'm like the bridge or the link or the the bit, you know, the liminal space in between potters and crafts and fine art um, sculptors. Mm -hmm. So there's no rules. I can do what the hell I like. <laughs> so <laughs> I do. That's <laughs> where so you can spray car paint on it if you wish. I can do whatever I want. Absolutely. So can you can you tell us a little bit about the your technique, uh, your surface, uh, the, how you choose what you're yeah. going to put on the form? Um, maybe give us a, I mean, I'm guessing what you use after I sure. watch your work, but but tell us a little bit about that. Well, first of all, there's no secrets. I'm absolutely into sharing, you know, so all the information I've got was from from asking. So let's just do some sharing stuff um, and some practical things, which hopefully will help other people just to free up a bit. Um, number one, the clay is not um, fired in a biscuit firing and then glazed in a glaze firing. So the clay is dug up out of the ground, it's worked, you know, into the form, and then it gets dried off. And then I work with slips, with oxides, with um, a particular colour palette that I've developed over the past 10 years that I really like, you know, inspired by all the painters and, you know, 
drawings and paintings that I've done. Um, so I use, um, I use instead of paints, I use pigments. So, um, you know, the body stains that you can get anywhere, you know, so synthetic body stains. I'll get some of those. I'll use velvet um, under glazes because they can go under, in or on top of the glaze. So a glaze is a glossy surface in my mind. Um, I will dig up the oxide in the in my hometown. So in where I live is a really special place. And I'll dig up some oxide, you know, the rusty streams that you get for those people who don't know what an oxide is. It's ferrous metal. And we use that um, to it's reds basically and browns but in a glaze it will give you greens and um sort of brighter surfaces or it'll give it a flux so it'll make it runny so it's playing with um slips oxides um i really like black copper oxide i avoid um i avoid cobalt just because of the way that it's been um harvested i don't really agree with the way that that's being used i think you know if, if you investigate cobalt just have a look at it and then mm. make your own decision. <laughs> um, so anything local, anything that you know can be organic or anything synthetic that doesn't ruin the planet would be good. Um, and then I use silicon carbide. So um, so everything goes on, and I work with it, and I have a conversation with it, and then oh, and then there'll be some sort of conclusion, and I think right, I think I think you're it. Let's give you to the the firing and I use electric kiln because I have children at home and my workshop is away from my home um so I just press the buttons and yeah. take it straight up to 1260 in electric kiln recently I've been soaking it um around 1200 and then leaving it at that so I haven't um just to reduce the electricity bill really yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and being a bit more aware of you know fuel and economy and um you know, the way that we use our electricity. Um, and then it comes out. So I give it to the, I tell it to the kiln, you know, put the kiln gods on the top of the kiln and then hopefully it's done its thing. <laughs> That's nice. it. So I'll put it on, take it off, work into it, work into the raw clay and then just once fire. That's that's great because I think lots of people do the bisque approach and then the, the second firing, which is much more, it's twice as expensive, right? Although often the bisque isn't as hot, but nevertheless, you're still using a fair bit of electricity or gas or wood, or depending on your methodology. And 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 so I like the single firing approach that you're you're talking about. I think that's got some great merit. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you select the the surface? Like, how do you you've got your slip that you use, which is a white slip, and then yep. and then how do you select the oxides that you're going to use? So you've got some choices. You've got underglazes. You've got what's your thinking about? Um, do I use an underglaze? Do I throw some uh, manganese on this? Like, what? Like, what's your? How do you think? How do you think you're that through? Well, it's um, it's very similar to a painter's technique. So, if you're a painter, you'd have dark, medium, and light tones. So, your dark tones would be. Um, so, if you're if you're using oil paints or acrylic paints, you would use dark to light, and if you're a watercolorist, you would use from light to dark. So um, I use the clay as a as a three-dimensional painting. 
basically. And I say, right, okay, where is the dark bits going? Um, where is the light bits going? And how am I going to create some shape? I'm going to work with the form. So I'll have a conversation with it. And it's very, oh, I, I don't really, I don't really know. And maybe that's like the artist bit, you know, when you get to your zone and you think, oh, I, I can't explain it. It's, I don't, I don't know, actually. I don't know how I decide, but I know that I've got, um, Cobalt, black copper oxide, sorry, not cobalt. Black copper oxide is my darkest, um, darkest dense tone yeah. because it's matte and it's really rich and it's sumptuous and it's the same kind of velvety feel if you put it on really thick as a piece of clay would. Um, it depends on what kind of clay I'm using. So if I'm using um, porcelain, which is very rare because it's a queen of clays, but terrible to work with if you're using sculpture. <laughs> Just, you know, I have done it. Let's yeah. avoid that. Um, so you can use a dark, dark body, um, like a terracotta. And then you put, I put um, porcelain slip over the top of the terracotta. And because of the porcelain, it's like semi-translucent. So that will reveal the dark clay underneath. Um, and then if I want a mid-tone, I'll work with um, some tones that I'm, um, that is in my colour palette that I've decided, you know, there's, I'm really drawn to pinks and like dusky pinks with greens because they're beautiful together. Really beautiful. Just a pop of pop of green in a pink sculpture on a painting. If you ever look at painting, pop of green on a pink painting is just delicious for me. So, you know, maybe you need a bit of grey in there as well. So I'll use silicon carbide um, as the grey because you, I can still see the clay underneath it. It's it's really about painting into the surface of the clay in its rawest state so that then I can take it off and reveal the clay underneath and then put it back on if I want to um if I want to mask it, you know, so build up the layers. And um I know that if I use silicon carbide next to a glaze, I've got a I've got a base glaze that I use. Um I know that it will um the kiln will do its magic and it will form a what's called a localized reduction and then it will change if there's if there's copper in there it'll change it to greens uh, it'll go from greens to reds so even though i'm using an electric kiln i can still get a reduction firing which is local to the clay which won't affect my elements mm. it's magic isn't it it's magic <laughs> yes i often think about clay you know years ago i used to do a lot of woodworking and in lots of ways i think it was fairly simple compared to clay clay is so complex right we have to invoke the gods of heat as well into all of this chemical stuff that we that we're talking about one of the things before we go on to something else but one of the things that sort of struck me about what you're talking about is that you've got you've developed a color palette that then you choose from. So you're not sitting there with a myriad of stains and colors in front of you. You spent the time thinking through what what colors, uh, what hues, what uh, that you love and that yeah. you want to work with. And then from that, I'll call it a more limited palette, you then yeah. select out of that what you're going to put on the, what yeah. you and the, are going to do together in some ways yeah. and um and uh to to create the final piece yeah i mean it's it's not um it's not that i have 
So I think of the the sculpture and the artist. So if you just separate the sculpture and the artist, the sculpture and the artist have to have conversation between the two of them. It has to be. It has to work really um, unanimous, unanimously. But sometimes the clay, the sculpture, will tell the artist what it wants, <laughs> and it will go, "Uh, uh-uh, that's not happening." I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it my own way. And then it surprises the artist. And that's when the happy accidents or the, you know, the surprises come out of the kiln. Sometimes it isn't really very what, it's not what you want. It's not what you want to see. Um, and sometimes it's a really like, oh, I didn't see that like dot of red that was flashed next to that black. I didn't realise it was there. And then that inspires you to do to go off on a journey and that's like the another body of work you know that's mm. developing so it's a i see it as a cycle it's like a journey you know initially you start um, researching you go and do some drawing or however you you know absorb the things around you that inspire you to create something and then you make some you know experimental kind of pieces with some experimental mark mix and you know and you play with the with the materials that you're using and then you kind of make some sort of conclusion and you make a, a body of work that is, you know, drawn from that. And then that gives you a final kind of outcome, which is, you know, concluding that part of your journey, almost like a chapter in a book. And then that body of work will then inspire you to do another, you know, and another. It's like this design cycle. You can tell I'm a teacher. This is where it comes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's like this um, this never-ending um, journey of um, discovery and because clay is such a diverse and such an exciting um, you know material to work with it's you know you just dis- I discover so much about myself when I'm working with it and when I haven't worked with it for a while I feel a bit out of sorts I think oh what's the matter with me and then my partner says Sharon just go to the workshop do you need a clay <laughs> Clay on my hands. Yes, yes I do. <laughs> Off we go then. Come back happier. You know, do, a little bit more peace. Do you think that uh, uh, clay artists can get lonely in their studio, and and how do you manage that? Uh, I guess personal loneliness of working in a studio by yourself, because often that's what we do with this idea of being inspired by others well um as a as i've been i've been an artist for a while and i've worked with you know paintings and sculpture and ceramics um i've got to say that potters and the pottery or ceramic community is a huge big family and they are a breed unto themselves. They are not, they are the friendly, they are the friendliest, um, most open, grounded bunch of people that I have known ever um, worldwide. And very, very sharing. I think it's the clay that is very healing. So even though people um, can be, it can be very lonely in the workshop. I'm very fortunate I do share mine. I sublet mine to my now best buddy, John, who came to Clay three years ago, four years ago, when sadly his um, wife passed away. And now he's making pots and he's a brilliant potter. (laughs) So it can be very lonely. 
but because of you know these podcasts and because you know of online clay clubs you know and um and festivals and being outdoors in festivals during that throughout the summer worldwide um it's really nice to get out of the studio and spend a lot of time with other people and they are quick to dance quick to have fun quick to drink as well probably <laughs> the most of them and we have yeah we have lots of festivals especially in the uk you yeah. do. I, uh, I'm yeah. a little jealous of being in Canada here, and I'm always paying attention to what's going on in the UK and you having pot fests and festivals and showings yeah. everywhere. It's uh, amazing. I wish we had that depth of uh, interest uh, over here. Hey, hey, you know, what's popping into my mind is is painting. And I'm not a painter, but you've talked about yourself being a painter and using painting and what you learned in painting for your uh, figurative mm. sculptures that you make. Would you say that that should be some advice for people who are getting into this, that they should learn to paint? Absolutely. Um, when I first started out, um, I, again, I think 10 years ago was when I first started out, when my child was, well, nine years ago, really, when my child was born, my last baby. Um, I went to see my friend Magdalena Grozek, um, and she has a fantastic um, place in France now and a company, um, but an arts kind of set up an arts community. And she showed me how to use um gambling wax and um, cold wax um, onto a surface and then I thought well that's what a lot of sculptors do um, if you're using wood you use um, a cold wax you know sort of surface or finish that can be buffed and um, and that's how it's applied to sculpture and then so it's it's not necessarily it's not necessarily what glaze do I use it's about finding what glaze suits you and what glaze or finishings because glaze is a glass you know sometimes we don't want a, a glassy surface sometimes we do but you know using using glaze is just a, a bunch of chemicals that have um, been exchanged for the paints i mean if you think about paints as a pigment um the you know you you don't have to fire your clay if you don't want to. You can fire it to, you know, stoneware temperatures and then um, and then put gambling wax or cold wax on there um, or oil paints or acrylics. You can put it in a fire. You can hit it with a hammer, put it in the river for six months and then glue it back together with some resin if you want to. There's, you know, if you're making sculpture, it doesn't have to be dishwasher safe. <laughs> That's right. Yes. You know, it, it's it, for me about it's painting is is like that as well. It's basically pushing colour around um, and finding what works best for you. So yes, Magdalena Grozek, she had um she had a fantastic workshop. Um and um in Paris actually, but now she's in South of France. But yeah, she's she was great. She was a real great inspiration um for painting. Um and thinking about colour. She's a definite colourist. Amazing woman. And she's my buddy as well, which is great. <laughs> Excellent. We will put a link to her. Uh, oh, that would be amazing. To her material uh, on the uh, podcast so people can connect to her. 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the time because I know you've got to go mm -hmm. pick up your daughter from school. And uh, yep. so I, I just want to say thank you so much for spending this time with uh, with us today. This has been fantastic. It's been a an insightful conversation into your process and how you think about your work and and some awesome advice for um ceramic folks about how they can begin to think about and experience and connect with uh, the clay and their own heart. Thank you so much, Bob. It's been absolutely brilliant. It's been absolutely my pleasure. <laughs> really brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Color and Ceramics podcast with Bob Acton and his guests. Please help others find the podcast by subscribing to this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, such as iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, or other podcatchers. And don't forget to give us a review. We'll see you next time.